This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Stinkin' Truth Podcast is presented by Core Water. He spent 12 years in the NFL. You can't trust a guy that gyrates his hips after he scores. Has three Super Bowl rings, made multiple Pro Bowl appearances, over 16 years of broadcasting between ESPN and Fox Sports. And that's why I'm the greatest football player and best sports analyst ever. He's a soap opera star. That's pretty, uh... I can't remember what I was supposed to say. <laughs> As a reoccurring role on HBO Ballers. Mark Slareth, handsome son bitch, get out here. And makes one hell of a bowl of green chili. It's Mark Slareth, and this is the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast, man. I, I'm telling you what, I'm so excited about this podcast. One, thank you to our sponsors, our title sponsor, Core Water. Um, you can hydrate your huddle with core pH balanced water, ultra purified and balanced with electrolytes to match your body's natural pH level of 7.4. I don't even know what that means, but 7.4 sounds good to me. The pH is where your body performs its best with the award winning crisp, clean taste and the wide mouth bottle. It's perfect. For faster hydration, you can find Core Water at your neighborhood 7-Eleven. It's the one with the blue cap, Core pH Balance Water. Learn more at hydratewithcore.com. And I got to tell you, uh, I got a ton of Core Water at the house, um, and I absolutely love it. It is crisp. It is clean. It's great, and uh, I enjoy the heck out of it. Appreciate the sponsorship with Core Water here on the Stink of Truth podcast. Um, we're going to talk about the first week of preseason, and uh, one of my great buddies, one of my good friends, and I can't wait to do this Trey Wingo a guy that I spent 12 years with at ESPN he's become one of my greatest friends and um, a guy that I really lean on a guy that really helped me throughout my broadcasting career so without further ado Trey Wingo joins the Stinkin' Truth podcast Trey you know what's great this is this is you were the first guest I ever had on this podcast we've been in hiatus for eight months we brought it back. You're my first guest since we brought it back. Trey, welcome to the program, man. It's great to be with you. Man, how you doing, Trey? I'm good, fella. How are you? Long uh, time no see. Yeah, I am always good. You know, it's I always know it's time for football season, and I miss you so much because what people don't know, or a lot of people probably do know this, but but I'll just reiterate this, is you and I were work, we, uh, excuse me, work wives for about 12 years, and um, yeah. I miss your musk, my friend. I, I, just miss, uh, I just miss being with you on a week-to-week basis. Well, let me put it this way. If they don't know that, that, that we've been great friends for a dozen years and we've done a really job of a really bad job of uh, not letting people know. So whoever needs to know, 
12 great years together on NFL Live, and I miss you on a daily basis, so I look forward to talking to you whenever I can. Yeah, I, I, I'm exactly the same way, and I always know, you know, I always know that it's getting close, Trey, when the Hall of Fame comes around and you're yeah. doing the hosting of the Hall of Fame this year, pretty special and pretty unique circumstances regarding the Hall of Fame. First, for me, pretty pretty near and dear to my heart, Bobby Bethard, uh, put yep. in the Hall of Fame. Bobby Beathard drafted me for the Washington Redskins. Bobby Beathard gave me a chance when a lot of teams just flat wouldn't give me a chance. So that was kind of special. Also, Jerry Kramer, um, one of the great players. You know, it was funny, before Jerry Kramer was elected in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the great Green Bay Packer guard, like when you'd say Jerry Kramer, everybody just assumed that he was part of the Hall of Fame. And, you know, he sat there for, what, four decades, five decades before he actually got into the Hall of Fame. So great to see uh, my my University of Idaho brother get elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, a couple of things to get into there. First of all, Beathard, uh, you know, you're another example of just how good of a talent evaluator Bobby Beathard is. No one had heard of Daryl Green when he wanted to draft him for the Washington Redskins. And now he's too small. And Bobby Beathard had to say, trust me. Trust me on this. Well, he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Joe Gibbs. No one knew who Joe Gibbs was when Bobby Beathard wanted to hire him as the Redskins. What did he say? Just trust me. Trust me on this. Joe Gibbs in the Hall of Fame. And look at you. Uh, a late-round selection out of the University of Idaho. Trust me on this guy. Trust me on this guy. Uh, 12 years in the league, three Super Bowls, Pro Bowl appearances later. So you, you are living, you are a living embodiment of what Bobby Beathard was. He would find talent no matter where it was, and he had a, a knack and understanding for the game and what it took to play the game better than almost anybody else that was ever a talent evaluator and a team builder. And as far as Jerry Kramer goes, 45th year of eligibility. Wow. 45th year. And look, I get it. There's a, there's a delineation between first ballot Hall of Famers and not first ballot Hall of Famers. But again, I ask, what's changed in Jerry Kramer's career since the first year he was eligible that he finally got in now? It's just, he was on the all-century team of the 50th anniversary team. He was on the member of the all-60 team, member of six NFL championships. It just made no sense that he had to wait this long. And the other thing there is, you know, the guard you, man, Jerry Kramer, University of Idaho, Mark Schlereth, guard University of Idaho, Mike Yapati. Guard, University of Idaho. That's so right. You guys crank them out out there. That's right. You know, uh, Pennsylvania and, and Penn State was always kind of linebacker you. Uh, I'm 100% with you. Guard you. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. That is for sure. I think one of the cool things that happened, um, you know, first off, Brian Dawkins was one of our teammates at ESPN for several years and I just really enjoyed my time with Brian Dawkins. Um just a wonderful, very thoughtful human being, great player, obviously Weapon X, and he comes out crawling and doing all those things. But I think a really cool kind of Hall of Fame speech when when he talks about kind of his internal demons and his fight with depression. And, you know, oftentimes I think we look at players and, and they're, not, they're not really human. Like they don't have the same things that we have. They don't deal with the same issues that we have. You know, they make a lot of money and they get to play a game for a living. And he really... I think he really helped people understand that players are human, man. We have issues just like everybody else has issues. And I really appreciated that part of Brian Dawkins' speech. Look, his speech to me was, I thought, the best speech. Uh, Ray Lewis was was a a Pentecostal preacher, and Randy Moss got up there and did great things as well. And Jerry Kramer was funny, and Erlacher was good. But to me... How Brian opened up, you know, and he went into such detail. Not only was he depressed and had suicidal thoughts, 
he had specifically laid out how he was going to do it and how he would be able to do it so his wife would get all the money coming her way. I mean, that is an incredible amount of detail. That's not just a, a passing thought about taking your own life. That's actually planning it out and coming that close to actually executing it. Um, and, and, and the thing that I kept going from his speech was, don't give in to the fear. Don't give in to the, the depression. There is hope on the other side. And I thought that message was so important for him to get out there. Because you all look at, we look, as a fan, I grew up a fan of football. I didn't play. I grew up as a fan of football and idolizing you guys and idolizing you guys as these warriors, these, these, these men who are really not men, but something else. I put them on a pedestal and they, they have this innate strength and ability to do these amazing things. Yet inside, we're all of us fragile and frail on some level. And for him to recognize that and be able to share that with so many people, to me, I thought was just absolutely amazing. It, it was truly amazing. You know what else was amazing for me? First guy ever elected in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that that played at Clemson. Like I'm like I'm thinking yeah. about I'm like all the great players that played at Clemson over the years, and he's the first guy to get into the the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It just was it, that blew me away. Yeah, that that was very very shocking considering the number of players we've seen come through that program over the years. No question about it. Uh, one more thing, and I'll go back to Jerry Kramer to set this question up. Jerry Kramer waited 45 years to get into Pro Football's Hall of Fame. One of the the great oversights and one of the great just disses of all time. Then we have Terrell Owens who doesn't show up to Pro Football's Hall of Fame induction. Does it at his own alma mater? But he says this about the induction process. He's like um, talking about you know why he didn't go to Counting. I would like to set the record straight, he said. It's not because of the number of times it took to get me voted into the Hall. It's about the mere fact that the sports writers are not in alignment with the mission and the core values of the Hall of Fame. And I thought to myself, Drake, Pot, let me introduce you to Kettle. Speaking of guys who aren't in line with the mission or the core values of team, you may be the epitome of a guy that was never part of the team because you were so busy being a part of the T.O., you know, I, I'm like, they may not get it right all the time, and they may make a lot of mistakes, but dude, like you were run out of five different cities, and you were great. You have all the numbers. You have all those things. But, man, you were, as as Skip Bayless used to like to call him, team obliterator. You were a guy that came in and created controversy within your own team. Speaking of a guy that doesn't understand the core value of being a team, that's why you. That's why it took you several times to get in, not because of your numbers, but because you didn't win championships and you weren't a good teammate. Yeah, look, here's the, here's the bottom line with Theo, okay? Is he a, a Hall of Fame player? No question. Could he have been a first ballot Hall of Famer? Yeah, probably based on the numbers he put up. And that's what this is. At the end of the day, the Hall of Fame is about individual excellence at your position. It's not about how many championships did you win. It's not about how many Super Bowl rings or any of that. It's were you among the very best in the business at your position in the business of pro football. And by any definable standard, he is. Now, that being said, for any of us to actually believe that this was about something else than his ego being hurt, then you are being suckered. He had every right to do what he did. There's no law that said he couldn't do it that way. There's no bylaw in the Hall of Fame. And by the way, there was some report that they were thinking about doing that, and that would be a massive overreaction by the Hall. Because to me, there's only one person who would ever do something like this, and it's Terrell Owens, and he's in. They'll never have to deal with this again. But don't try and tell me as you're standing there at Chattanooga, 
saying you're doing this for the Jerry Kramers of the world. You're yeah. doing this for all the people that had to wait. Man, shut up, okay? <laughs> I know why you did it. You know why you did it. Everyone knows why you did it, and I'm fine with that. I'm cool. If that's the way you wanted to do it, that's fine. But you know the old thing. Don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining, okay? Right. You, you wouldn't do this for anybody but you. And the most important and factual and honest thing about his little ceremony at, at Tennessee Chattanooga was he was up there going through his speech, and someone yelled out from the crowd, I love you, T.O. And you know what his response was? Hmm. I love you, too, but I love me more. And that summed up why you did what right. you did. Don't tell me it's anything else. <laughs> he, That's what it was. He played the golden shower. Reason, Yeah, you trade for that reason, then that reason only. Right. He played the golden shower shower game. I used to do this all the time when I was in college. I'd walk up to a guy that was standing in the shower, and I would strike up a conversation with him about a certain play during the course of the game. Like, hey, man, on that 34 read we ran, what did you see when we (laughs) – and I'd be pissing on the dude's leg, and he'd be like, oh, you know what happened on that play? You know, I saw the linebacker scoot over, and then everybody in the shower is laughing because he's getting a golden shower. That's what T.O. did to everybody. Like, no, this is for Jerry Kramer. No, it's not. Dude, this is to feed your own ego. Um, one of the things, you know, feed my own ego, man. One of the things I do every morning, I drive into work because I do a local radio show here in Denver. I drive into work and I listen to Golik and Wingo. Um, I think it should be called Wingo and Golik, but you know what? That's another no, story. No, no, no. That's a story for a different time. Um, and I heard you talking today because the preseason 24 games on Thursday night, or 24 teams, 12 games on Thursday night. It was incredible. But um, one of the things you were talking about today, that, and I saw the video, this is after I came into work, I, I went right to the computer to look up the video, the whole, um, the whole Benjamin versus Cam Newton scenario, Benjamin gets <laughs> traded, he goes, to, he goes to the Buffalo Bills and he calls out Cam Newton for being inaccurate, which is true. I think the optic of, optics of it are, are kind of bad because Be- Benjamin's the one guy that would show up out of shape, you know, and, and be 250. Showed up fat. Yeah. Showed up fat, not out of shape. He showed up fat. Let's be honest. With right, that. right. And I just like maybe you're not the right guy. Like the message is correct, but kind of the messenger is probably the wrong guy to give the message to, as he called Cam Cam Newton, you know, inaccurate and a guy that he wished he would have started with a different quarterback in his time. Yeah, look, there's a couple of things that need to be pointed out here. Number one, he's not incorrect. Even in Cam's MVP year of 2015, I think he was dead last among qualified quarterbacks on third down completion percentage. And let's be honest, quarterbacks are paid to uh, win. Well, hey, in John, the red zone. John Elway told me this down. once. You guys yeah. get paid for first and second down. I get paid for to convert on third down. That you guys, exactly. That's what you guys get paid for. And he was the worst in the business as far as qualified quarterbacks are concerned. And, in fact, in the last three years, over the last three years, including his MVP year, 2015, 2016, 2017, of all the quarterbacks that are qualified over those three years, there are 41 of them. He's 41st on third down completion percentage. So that is not an inaccurate statement about Cam Newton's inaccuracy. However, for a guy who showed up fat, not out of shape, showed up fat, had his own problems. And oh, by the way, in 2015, when Cam Newton was the MVP and they set the record for the most points in the, the, the highest scoring team in football that year, you weren't there. You weren't a part of it it's probably not the best idea for you to be chirping. And then that confrontation before the game in Buffalo between the Bills and the, uh, the Panthers on uh, Thursday night was just hilarious because the way I saw it, and I don't know if you saw the video, if you see it that way, Kelvin Benjamin's having a conversation 
with Thomas Davis, the outstanding linebacker right. for the Carolina Panthers. And then Cam saunters up from the other side. I believe, I can't prove it, but I believe that that was a setup. I believe that Thomas Davis went out there to talk to Kelvin so he wouldn't see Cam walking up on the other side. Because Cam walked up from the other side. He didn't come up from behind Thomas Davis where Kelvin Benjamin could see him coming. He came up from the other way, and Kelvin Benjamin was turned around, and then Kelvin turned and Cam was right there. And Cam had those shorts rolled up to mid-thigh, had both his hands behind his back, basically saying, hey, man, I'm here. My hands are behind my back, so I'm not threatening you in any way. Let's have a conversation. And Kelvin couldn't have looked for the escape route faster. <laughs> in fact, that had been the fastest he's run a skinny post in his entire NFL career. Uh, yeah, well, it was uh, in his case, it was a fat post, and and I'm 100 percent with you. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was total setup. Like, hey, I got to have a conversation with this guy, Thomas. Go distract the dude so that I can come up, like you said, and walk up on him. Because as soon as Cam got in there, all three of them were there, and then Cam gave gave. Thomas Davis, a little wave off, like, okay, you like, can, I'm good. You, you, yeah, I'm good. You, you can walk away purpose. now. Oh, it's just amazing. And, and, you know, Kelvin was asked about it after the game, and he was like, I'm just moving on. I'm just I'm like, dude, you couldn't have moved on from that conversation faster if you wanted to on the field. Right. He, had, he wanted he, no part. He wanted no part of that confrontation. He, had one, he didn't want to explain himself. He just wanted to – it's like one of them. They should make a Southwest commercial. Want to get away? Like, the, And it should just be that video, right? That is exactly right. Oh, I can't believe I didn't think about that this morning. Damn it, stink. Yeah, sorry. I should have texted you and let you know that. Um, how about the you know the Chicago Bears? So, so so everything is slotted now when it comes to the draft. Two hundred and fifty six yeah. players have been signed. There's one guy that's unsigned, Roquan Smith, the outstanding linebacker out of Georgia, who was like the ninth overall player taken by the Chicago Bears. He's the one guy that's unsigned and. To me, it just looks like, I mean, I, I don't know, Trey, maybe I'm not reading it right, but they want to be able to penalize him or get some of his signing bonus back if he has on-field transgressions and misses time. Um, and I just I look at the whole thing like, really, guys, this is where you are as an organization. You're trying to get signing, mon- uh, signing bonus money back from a guy if he's too aggressive on a football field or you know he, he misses well, time. I, I just don't understand what, what the holdup is. Actually, they, they caved on that part of it because the first issue with the Bears and Roquan Smith's contract was in this new helmet rule, which, by the way, right. Thursday night we had the first guy ejected from the game, Shamarco Thomas, uh, the safety for the Colts, and he should have been ejected for that hit, which was absolutely the worst possible thing you could do. You look at that, you can see that was an easy one. Um, so they, they resolved that one. The other issue is, is Roquan doesn't want his money taken to be suspended for anything else on the field. And look, you know me, I am a hundred percent pro player. I am because the players have a short window to make potentially millions while the owners can sit on their butts forever and make billions. People need to understand, okay, before a ticket is sold, uh, before one hot dog or beer or soda is bought, before one parking lot pass is paid for, before one t shirt or everything else, NFL owners stand to make between six and seven hundred million dollars a year. Just based on uh, the revenue that comes in from television and all their corporate sponsors. So all the fans that say we pay for your salaries, no, you don't. You pay for more profits for the owners. That is taken care of triple times over before you guys even buy one ticket. So let's end that now. So I am always for the players getting all their money. But I got to say, I'm with the Bears on this one. They had Danny Trevathan a couple of times last year who was suspended. 
And you know what they didn't do? They didn't take any way of his guaranteed money mm-hmm. uh, for any of those hits that got him suspended. So I, I think this is just a situation where his agency, CAA, is digging in on some language and Roquan is going along with it. I, I really think that this is there is no way this should have gone on this far. I think they've relinquished on the, the rule in question, which I think was the right thing to do. To me, this seems petty. And it seems a little petty on the side of the agents representing Roquan than it does on the Bears. Yeah, well, I, and, and one of the things that's interesting about that, and I thank you for clearing it up, because when I read it initially, I was like, what? Yeah. Like, this makes no sense to me. Um, although I will always look at guaranteed money or signing bonus money is money that you have earned that they're willing to give you because of what you've done in the past. It has nothing to do Correct. with the money going forward. So if you're going to suspend him, he's going to lose money in, you know, from a salary standpoint, what he's making. So that's how I always looked at that. And, and for the bears, for this not to get done, and for Roquan Smith, who is an outstanding player, man, you got to be in the camp. You got to be doing your thing. You got to go out there and you got to play and kind of earn your keep. I, I just hope this gets resolved quickly. One thing that did get resolved after 585 days away from the game, Andrew Luck is back. He looked good in his first game back as a Colts starter. Um, just really good. Like, the, like, there are certain things that to me are just a given. Like, the league is a better place when the Raiders are relevant. You know, and right. hopefully John Gruden can do that all out of the Monday night booth and, and help to change the culture and make them relevant again. Uh, the league's also a better place when the neck beard Andrew Luck is playing. It is. And, you know, and to me, and you, I think you'll appreciate this, uh, as, as impactful as it was to see him on the field last night, where I think he went six for nine for minimal yardage. Uh, actually, what I'm really curious about is how he feels today. Um, right. Because. You know, you know that shoulder injury. You know, when our when our pal and our former teammate Herm Edwards was with us, he had that Chad Pennington when he was the Jets head coach. Chad Pennington had that same surgery, and Herm was the first guy to say, "Guys, it'll be a year at least before Andrew Luck is back." And you know, it took almost two years for him to get back. Uh, and, and he said Chad was never the same going forward. So after he threw nine passes and completed six of them uh, for whatever yards, sixty-four yards. Uh, but he got hit a couple of times. Uh, to me, I'm curious, and we'll never know, uh, how much he's sore today, how much he's hurting today, because it's not just about being able to play in a preseason game. It's about to play in a full regular season game, recover, rest, and do it again 15 more times. So, I mean, while the, the initial toe in the pool is great, I need to be able to believe that he can have full immersion and swim in the deep end before I'll really feel comfortable that he's back to where he was. Yeah, there's no question about that. One of the other uh, things that came out of the first uh, week of preseason games, uh, the number one draft pick and the number two draft pick overall, Saquon Barkley, number two to the Giants, and number one, Baker Mayfield. Uh, I thought that game, and I don't know how much of of that you watched, but I thought both those guys kind of showed out, and it was kind of exciting to see a couple of young guys go out there and play very well. First run, 39 yards for Saquon Barkley, shook a couple guys down, kind of paused. He had almost kind of a Le'Veon Bell kind of patience setting up some blocks, and then the explosion to get through the hole and take it 39 yards. And then Baker Mayfield not only scrambling around, which we knew he could do, but he made some really good throws. He threw a touchdown, um, a 54 
four-yard touchdown. It was a second window slant, meaning the first window was closed because the linebacker took off underneath the slant because he had the back in the backfield in man-to-man coverage. So Baker kind of pumped. He knew he couldn't get it in there. He waited, and then he threw it late uh, on the slant, perfectly executed. A receiver breaks the tackle or makes a guy miss and, and takes it 54 yards for a touchdown. That's got to be really encouraging if you're a Browns fan, considering the the lack of uh, just the lack of production um, that they've had out of first round draft picks of late. Yeah, I, I want to get into a couple of things here. First of all, yeah. the Saquon thing. You're right. The 39 yard run looked great, but let's then look at what happened after that. Right. He had one carry for 39 yards. He had three carries for four yards. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying let's not dismiss the 39-yard play, but that sort of summed up Saquon at Penn State, right? I mean, he was, uh, he'll get bottled up, he'll get bottled up, then he'll make a couple of big plays. As you well know, Mark, as a former offensive lineman, you want to see a bunch of three, four, five-yard runs from this guy because that's what keeps drive alive. That's what keeps you moving, and that's what keeps that offense on schedule, as you like to say. So while I was really encouraged about the one run for 39 yards, I was a little concerned that his, pre, his next three uh, runs produced only four yards. I would, you know, he bounced it outside a couple of times. Let's press that hole. Let's get two or three yards every time we carry. That's how we keep the offense on schedule. So the 39-yarder was great. I'd like to see a little more of the intermediate stuff from him, three, four, five right. yard runs. Yeah, you Some know what? That's on the offensive line, and Will Hernandez struggled. I get that, but I'd like to see a little more of that out of Saquon. Right. I saw the flip side of that on, on the other side of the ball with Nick Chubb, who the Cleveland Browns took, I believe, in the second round, and he kept bouncing things outside and getting minus two, minus yeah. four, minus five. And I'm like, at some point, son, you got to put your foot yeah. in the ground and get a positive two, you know, we block it for two, you get me four, we're going to have a really, really good season. If I block it for Absolutely. two and you get me nine, minus two, you know, we're going to have – It's gonna. there's going to be a come-to-Jesus meeting um, behind closed doors yeah. and we're going to have to have a talk. Yeah, exactly. And as far as Baker goes, I thought he played really well. Um, but I will say, looking at the numbers, there, there were two throws that I really liked. The touchdown to Njoku, where I put it up where Njoku was the only one that could go get it. Right. And then the second-half touchdown – uh, where he led the receiver right down the field. But he was 11 or 20, uh, you know, which is, is not the most accurate. But if you're, a, if you're a Browns fan, in my opinion, the biggest thing you take away from that game is that you know who your starting quarterback is, and it's Tyrod Taylor. Right. Tyrod looked fantastic. Yes, he did. And I'm not just going by the numbers, 5 of 5, 99 yards and a touchdown, also, by the way, to David Njoku. He did everything you would want him. I mean, you know how this is. You have the greatest saying ever about preseason. It may not count, but it matters. And what Tyrod did in that game mattered. The way he ran the offense, the way he understood where everyone needed to be, the way he knew where the throws were supposed to go and got them there on time, on schedule. To me, the Baker Mayfield stuff was fine. That's great. Whatever. That Tyrod did what he did. I was really impressed with Tyrod Taylor. I was too, and and a lot of it comes down to this. You know, people get the average fan gets excited by a guy extending the play and making a play, and the, the you know the the throw on the sideline that Baker Mayfield made that was you know, uh, you know on third down and seven he scrambles out there he throws it and uh, you know and it gets overturned because they called it incomplete at first and you're like that's great that's awesome. But I'm more impressed with the guy that gets the ball out of his hand uh, and the Njoku touchdown down the that down the seam to the you know I mean yep. that was a beautifully executed throw. But it was everything was on time, and when you're on time like that, the the middle of the field safety that's trying to get over there to help you know your help coverage they can't get there. 
when the ball is yeah. executed, it's like our former colleague Trent Delfer, Trent Dilfer used to say all the time, like there is no defense for the perfect throw. When you're on time and you're accurate on time, you can't defend it. And, and that's yeah. what I saw. That's what I saw out of Tyrod Taylor that gave me great hope. Yeah, and the other thing is, I, I always want people to watch preseason and understand what they're watching, but more importantly, understand what they're not watching, which is game planning and understanding like certain defenses to try and stop you from doing stuff. There is no game planning. There was no there was no defensive Giants game plan for okay, what are we going to do to to stop Baker Mayfield from doing this or doing that? It just doesn't happen in preseason. Mm-hmm. So understand what you see, and also more importantly, understand what you don't see. And People are raving. I, this it got me going today, and I ranted a little bit about it on the show. And I didn't know if you heard that part of it, but people were all over some amazing throws by Josh Allen. That right. was incomplete. Okay, <laughs> there was a guy, and I love him. He works for Pro Football Talk. His name is Michael David Smith. He's, he does really good work, but he was like, uh, you know, take away. Uh, look at the numbers. Josh Allen has a cannon under arm. He shows poise in the pocket, and yes, his stats weren't great. Nine of nineteen for a hundred something yards and a touchdown. But he had some near misses on huge throws. And I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. What are you actually saying? You know what a near miss is? It's an incompletion. Right. And you know what Josh Allen's problem was at Wyoming? He had too many incompletions. You know what Josh Allen struggled with in his first NFL preseason game? Completing passes. I mean, there's no such, much in the same way as Trent Dilfer said, there's no such thing, defense for a perfect throw. There's no such thing as a wonderful incompletion. You either make the throw complete or you don't. It's that simple. I don't want to hear anything about beautiful incompletions. They don't exist. There's not a stat carry that goes attempts, completions, and wonderful incompletions, touchdowns, and interceptions. (laughs) The wonderful incompletions fall into the category of incompletions. And what was the book on on Josh Allen in the draft? Nice guy, huge arm, poison the pocket, doesn't complete enough passes. What did we learn week one from the NFL preseason about Josh Allen? Nice guy, big arm, poison the pocket, doesn't complete enough passes. I don't care about anything else. The only way Josh Allen's pick is the success for the Bills is if he improves on his 53% completion percentage in Wyoming. That's it. End of story. Yeah, you, know, it, you know, it's funny. You make me laugh because there's certain things that always – just they always frustrate me when I hear people talking about football. One is, hey, if they want to win, they're going to have to do. Like I've never walked into an NFL game where I was like, man, I Let's hope we lose win, this guys. one. Right? Let's try and lose. Yeah, I didn't want it enough. <laughs> right? If you want like, if you want to win, you might need. You're going to need to block that guy. Yeah. Hey, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. Do I want to win? Yes, I want to win. Of course, I'm going to have to do that. Um, the other one I heard last night, Kyle Laletta, he throws a catchable ball. I don't understand. I don't understand. Everybody tries for that uncatchable ball because that's when you know you're a really good receiver. Right. Uh, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw a knuckleball, and uh, I'm going to make this as hard as difficult, as hard as humanly possible on the receiver. And if he catches it, then I know he really wants to win, right? I mean, if I throw the knuckleball. Maybe that's what what Kelvin Benjamin was talking about with Cam Newton. He threw too many uncatchable balls. (laughs) Hey, hey uh, real quick for you, and, and I'm going to let you go, and I, I just appreciate you, man. I love you, man, and I miss you. But uh, the Browns, I don't know. Have you watched the, the Hard Knocks, you know, the yeah, Browns? Hard- I have, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you heard um, their head coach, uh, Hugh Jackson, talk Hugh about you got to earn your stripes on the helmet. Um, yeah. And, you know. Are we doing the, Buckeyes for Ohio State? Are we back in college? What I, are we doing? Like, I, I looked at that, and I was like, oh, Lord. Here, I rolled my eyes, and they came out with a completely just, you know, orange-brown 
helmet yeah. with no stripes on it. I knew something looked funny, and and that's what it was. And I'm thinking, you're one in thirty one. If you have to earn the stripes on your helmet, shouldn't you have to coach shirtless until you there get you some go. victories in the regular season? Like what? Yeah. What? Like what? What is your penalty, Hugh Jackson? Yeah, I, look, I, that's look. I love Hugh, and I believe he's a legitimate head coach. And I, I think that he had a, you know, he got a, a raw deal with the Raiders. He got them to eight and eight. When mm-hmm. eight and eight would have been a miracle. Correct. Um, but but the I, and I do believe that this is a different round. I don't feel like they're the embarrassment of football anymore. I, I think like they're, they're talented, different. Trey. I, I saw yeah. a, a, I saw an influx of talent on that roster. So go ahead. Yeah, but but at the end of the day, all that's great. it's like it's like a beautiful incompletion. All those things are great. But if you don't freaking win, it doesn't matter. They have one win in two years. So I don't think you can go out there and hope to win two, three games and think you're getting your, your uh, think you're getting uh, another year to coach the Browns. He has to win. Yes. At the end of the day, all this stuff is great. But if it does, if you don't win, it doesn't matter. That's the thing that everyone seems to be forgetting sometimes in preseason. Well, this looks fine. If it doesn't translate into success, guess what? It didn't matter. Yeah. So all this stuff is great. If they don't win, if they don't win five, six games, it doesn't matter in Cleveland. Yeah, and and I wonder how, like I always say, the thing about a head coach is, you know, it, there's a difference between appointing a guy and empowering a guy. And that's right. my that's my concern. You know, it's my concern here where I live in Denver with Vance Joseph. It's my concern with a lot of head coaches. It's my concern with Hugh Jackson. You know, there was a point in that, in that hard knocks where he's sitting at the table with all his assistant coaches and they're like, Hey man, we got to practice. We got to get this guy on the field. We got to do this. We got to, you know, and he's like, Hey man, you know, I understand it from where you guys sit, but from where I sit, you know, I mean, it's, there's a different perspective. We got to get this with the end and the end result in mind. And we got to get guys regular to the regular season and this, that, and the other. And I almost felt, it was awkward to watch it, and I almost felt it was like him saying, listen, I haven't been empowered with that that's coming from above my head, and there's certain guys that just aren't going to play or that we're going to be really careful with. Um, yeah. And that's a, that would be my biggest concern for Hugh because I feel like you do. I think Hugh can coach. I don't know that he's been empowered to coach now that John Dorsey has taken over as the general manager of that football team. Well, you know how it goes. Every GM wants to hire his own coach, right? right. So they did it backwards in Cleveland. Uh, Jimmy Haslam decided whoever the GM is has to keep Hugh Jackson. So barring, you know, to me, eight, nine wins this year, I don't think there's any chance Hugh Jackson is back because I think John Dorsey's going to want to get his own guy in there. Hey, while I have you on the line, yeah. let me ask you a couple of things because I know you've been at Broncos training camp a bunch. First of all, what the hell is up with Marquette King? What, I mean, what is he doing? Taking off uh, everybody on radio stations. Right. Uh, how good are the young receivers, Deshaun Hamilton and Cortland Sutton, the kid out of SMU, and how's the Chubb look? Yeah, so, okay, so Marquette King, there's a reason that one of the best punters in the league got ousted from Oakland. Sean right. Gruden right. saw the antics and said, yeah, you're no longer welcome here. Don't let the door hit you on the butt on the way out. Marquette King, let me tell you, in practice, and this has been a special teams last year that was – I mean, they set a record for just being atrocious. And yep. watching him punt in practice, like, it's from a different world. Like, that guy's an alien. 
Um, so there's no question that he's a huge upgrade, but he's also kind of a mercurial guy who came on our radio station, 104.3 The Fan, and wouldn't answer any questions. Like, didn't want yeah, to do I it. heard that. With, with Stokely, of all people. Right. Was, the coolest dude there is. Right. Stokely, I mean, played for 15 years. Respect the fact that the guy's got a world championship. Respect the guy that, that played for 15 years. And he's not going to answer a question. So I think Stokely actually has two. Doesn't he have one with Baltimore and one with Indianapolis? So, uh, yes, he does. He yeah. the first touchdown pass in the Super Bowl 35. Final score 34-7, to Baltimore over the Giants. There you go, Rain Man. So, I mean, <laughs> the, the fact that they cut the interview short after a minute and a half because he just flat wouldn't answer a question it was just yes, no, I don't really want to talk about football. Okay, see you around yeah. sometimes. And and, yeah. and then, you know, then he, he basically challenged one of the afternoon hosts, basically telling him to shut up and and you know or else i mean it's just kind of a bizarre situation so but that's marquette king so you know as long as he punts the ball really well uh, i think the broncos just kind of keep him out of the mainstay media and um, and and we move on bradley chubb looks the part I, I think one of the things that's really interesting is how the league has evolved you know this Probably 60, 65% of the time you're in a sub package. You're in a three wide receiver set, one tight end, one running back. I mean, it's just the way it is. Bradley Chubb brings versatility that I think as an offensive player makes it really hard to designate what they're in. So you play a standard 3-4, but Bradley Chubb can play outside linebacker, which he's listed as a starter as an outside linebacker. He's played over the offensive tackle as a a down defensive lineman, like a a five-technique defensive lineman. He's also slid inside in nickel pass rush situations over the guard. So he gives you a bunch of versatility out there. And when you're milling around the line of scrimmage, you can come out there with Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb, Shane Ray, another first-rounder who had a wrist injury last year who's back playing really well, Um, Derek Wolf, who's psycho. Like, you have got the potential of really, you know, creating havoc. And I think there's probably no better place. Like, you look at guys who have been drafted in perfect situations. I don't know that there's a better situation than Bradley Chubb has here in Denver with all the – all the talent surrounding him. I mean, he's going to get a lot of one-on-ones from a lot of multiple positions, and the guy has got great effort. So he's a guy, to me, that just fits the bill. Um, As far as the wide receivers – oh, go ahead, Trey. I just just have one thing about Yeah, I cannot believe the the Browns passed on him uh, with that second first-round pick. Look, again, I think John Dorsey has a proven record as a a talented executive in the NFL – but, you know, taking an undersized quarterback, I'd say it was a little bit of a risk at one because history proves that those guys do not really succeed unless they're as fast as Michael Vick or as accurate as Drew Brees um, or, or as, as savvy as Russell Wilson. So that's basically what you're counting on from, from Baker. Um, but the fact that they took a corner, and I get it, they love their D-line, uh, the other lineman opposite Miles Garrett. But they, 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 Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator for Cleveland, likes press corners, right? So they took the best press corner of the draft, Denzel Ward. The best cornerback in football, Mike, what can he – Mark, Mike, sorry, yeah. dude. Yeah, the sorry. best football – the best cornerback in football, what can he do? How many football players can he eliminate on every play? One. One, right. right. One. You can take out one receiver. Well, guess what? If you have two ends like uh, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb coming off the end, they get to the quarterback – they take all the receivers out, all right. of them. So to me, I didn't understand going for the undersized quarterback or passing on what a lot of people believe was the surest bet in the first round of Bradley Chubb. So anyway, that was my yeah. theory on that. But at, tell me about the receivers. Okay, okay. Well, and Hamilton. let me piggyback on that real quick, and, and then I'll get to the receivers. 
I, I spent 12 years lining up and started for 12 years in the league lining up as an offensive lineman. Never one time did I ever break a huddle and say, okay, let's find the starting press cover corner because we got to take that guy out of the game. No, you know what? I lined up against Reggie White. I lined up against LT. I lined up against uh, Warren Sapp, and it was, okay, where is that beast? Where is that guy? And how are we going to contend with that dude? Never one time did I ever say, hey, how are we going to line up against Deion Sanders? Like, yeah, it, it, it just didn't work that it, way. It, I mean, it, and look, right. I, I hope it all works out because the Browns fans deserve better after all they've been through over the years. But, man, if Chubb pans out and uh, the guy that they have opposite Garrett, uh, Miles Garrett, if he doesn't show out this year, I, I think it's going to look back and they made a serious mistake there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as far as the receivers are concerned, so I'm talking to Bill Kolar, who is one of the great D-line yeah. coaches, right? I mean, he's been around forever. Well, he was in Houston, Trey, when Houston drafted uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins. And as you know, DeAndre Hopkins is an absolute freak show. I mean, the guy is a freak show. So I'm talking to Bill Kolar at length, and he goes, let me tell you something, man. This kid, through OTAs in the first part of camp, identical from a playmaking standpoint. It's the way we talked about DeAndre Hopkins when we drafted him in Houston. We're like, oh, my Cortland God. Cortland Sutton we're talking about? Yes, Cortland Sutton. We have got – I'm sorry. Uh, we have got a freak show on our hands. Cortland Sutton, 6'3", like 218, physically unbelievably gifted. Emmanuel Sanders came out and said – the most talented, the most freak show wide receiver I have ever seen in my time here as a rookie wow. or my time in wow. the NFL as a rookie. And now he still has to polish his route running and all that stuff. But let me just tell you, you throw a 50-50 ball up, he's coming down with it 90% of the time. I mean, wow. he is uncanny with his athleticism. And on top of that, his football character. Like the other day in practice, we're standing there watching, they wrap up practice and Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas have family members at practice. He runs up while they're with their family and grabs their stuff and goes, hey, I'm going to take this stuff in for you guys so you can spend more time with your family. So you're not like he's like he's just like they didn't ask him, hey, take my shoulder pads in. He rolls over there and and he just gets it like he yeah. is trying to he is trying to pick their brains. He is trying to to become the best player he can. And they embrace him, even though they know he's going to take their jobs eventually. They're like, right. this is a kid that gets it. I will say this about Denver's draft in general. Um, they went about it differently this year. I was talking to Matt Russell, how they he, he called it blue dotting guys. He goes, yeah. anybody that didn't have football character and football acumen, we blue dotted him. And he goes, I'm not talking about a kid as a freshman that got in a fight in a bar. Like, we've all done that. You know, we're dudes, we're alpha, you know? I mean, that happens. He goes, I'm talking about guys that don't get it, guys that don't understand, guys that don't prepare, guys that had problems within their own locker room. We blue dotted those guys. And we said, uh-huh. blue dots we are undraftable to us this year. Yeah. And he goes, well, I Go ahead. It, it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me at all what you said about Sutton because one of my favorite things about him leading up to the draft when he was at SMU, uh, first of all, they they brought him in as a safety, and they took one look at him and like the first day camp, I'm like, yeah, you're no longer a safety. You're going to be a wide receiver. But uh, like one of the first uh, camps at SMU, I think it was his freshman year. Uh, you know, everyone gets taped up, and they after practice they call cut off the tape and then go into the locker room. Mm-hmm. Well, he cut off his tape and went in the locker room, and he realized that one of the assistant coaches 
had to go out there and pick up all the tape that all the players cut off and left on the field. So he was like, well, that's not right. So he went out there, and then he became the guy that picked up all the tape that was cut off all the players uh, at SMU to make sure the assistant coaches didn't have to do it. So the fact that you just said that story about him and what he did with the better receivers does not surprise me at all. Yes, he's just that way, and he just wants to learn. And then, you know, Hamilton, the other receiver from Penn State, uh, he's a guy that is just a real polished route runner. They all talk about him, his kind of football knowledge and his ability to run routes like he is coming in here as a real polished guy. So to me, a position um, you know that has been lacking in Denver, a third wide receiver, somebody that can run the middle of the field, somebody who's a red zone threat. They were the worst red zone team in all of football last year. They've got two guys that fill those needs and um, that have great football character, great football acumen. I'll tell you the other guy that Bill Kolar was talking to me about um, just a couple days ago uh, is the outlaw Josie Jewell, the linebacker from Iowa, oh, yeah. the tackling Iowa. machine from Iowa. The turkey farmer. Right. The turkey the, farmer, yeah. Josie Jewell, yeah. Right. And, and he's like, I'm going to, he goes, Stink, I'm just going to tell you, like, this kid may not run well at the combine. But this kid makes every play, and I'm talking to Brandon Marshall, the starting linebacker, and he goes, dude, one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. When you have that kind of intelligence, that football intelligence, and that those anticipatory skills to where you can just be like, I see based on formation and based on look what they're going to do, and then you're meeting the running back at the hole every single time, even though you don't have elite level 40 time like that elite level 40 time, as you and I know, it, it can be garbage at times. It can be false stats, you know, things yep. that don't really matter. It's stuffing, it's filling, it's whatever. And this kid just seems to make every single play. You know, I, I look at the difference between being, you know, like the Saints, seven and nine for three straight years. What happens? They go in the draft and they get three guys that just produce at kind of Pro Bowl type levels in Lattimore at the cornerback position, um, at, at the Kamara at the running back position in the third round, and then the Marcus offense. Williams, the safety, who gets whipped on the one tackle, but played really well. Right. Yeah. He, he played exceptionally well. Rams check uh, the offensive lineman that played and started at right tackle the whole time for them. They have all these guys produce, and all of a sudden they're 11 and 5, and they win their division. That's the kind of rookie class that I think Denver might have to this point, which could be exceptionally exciting. And let's add one more to that rookie class who was a rookie last year but didn't play, tight end Jake Butt. How's he coming back from the ACL? Yeah, Jake Butt looks great. Um, I talked to Elway about Jake Butt just a couple days ago. He goes, you know, understand that he's still a rookie because he didn't play last year, but he's a guy that gives us that ability to be an inline blocker. He's really good inline. But he can split out not only, you know, kind of away from the, the line of scrimmage in the slot area, but he can also get outside the numbers. He's got the body and the size to kind of body people up, but he's got the explosiveness to run by people, run by linebackers. So another matchup uh, situation for the Broncos. They're really, they, they could be really exciting. Still some question marks on the offensive line, Trey, but, you know, they could be yeah. really exciting um, going forward. So we'll see exactly how that kind of pans out for the Broncos. But really excited about this first preseason game uh, come this Saturday against uh, against the Minnesota Vikings. And, and, you know, really cool as we're on it. I mean, you've got, Hey, we didn't want Case Keenum. We want Kirk Cousins. We've got that matchup, right? right? 
And then you've exactly. got then you've got hey Paxton Lynch who hasn't been able to beat out Trevor Simeon. Guess who's the backup quarterback in Minnesota? Trevor Simeon. Trevor and then Simeon. Kyle Sloter was on this roster last year, and he outperformed everybody in training camp. They try to sneak him through practice squad. He gets picked up and put on Minnesota's active roster. Now you got Chad Kelly for the Broncos versus Kyle Sloter for the Minnesota Vikings here in here in Denver. We're like, man, this is a great preseason matchup. Like, there's all kinds of storylines. It really is, and it's really interesting, too, because we haven't really talked about two positions in this whole breakdown of the Broncos, and that would be the starting quarterback, Case Keenum, and the running back position. Look, at the end of the day, if Denver can get everything else right, as long as those guys are just average, I think this is going to be a really good football team. I think they got a chance, man. I think they've got a chance to be good. It'll it'll be interesting to see. They've got to play complementary football. They can't continue to put the defense um, in a lurch like they have the last couple of years. And, and the wear and tear on the defense has been extraordinary. But if they get, like you said, just even average, above average, you know, just slightly above average play out of the offense and out of the special teams, this is a team that could surprise some people. This is a team that could be, I think, competing for a wild card position and and pushing the Chargers. Uh, for for the AFC West crown, so it'll be really oh boy, interesting. The Chargers have just had a brutal training camp. Right, tight ends gone to ACLs in their top corner. Jason Brett tore that Achilles on a conditioning test. My God! Right, you talk about. I mean, and that's the difference. You know how this league is operated too, because you pay your veterans, and, and because of the salary cap the way it is, you know, eight nine guys are making the majority of the money. You're trying to get by with a bunch of rookies and, and first-year guys that don't have a lot of experience, and now all of a sudden they're going to have to lean on those guys. A uh, real brutal situation for the Chargers as they go forward, but uh, I still think they're a pretty talented team. Yeah, I do too. All right. Hey, listen, buddy, I miss you. I love you, and uh, always good to catch up. How are the kids? Everybody good? Everybody doing great. They're all out in L.A. hanging out with your kids. So all right. all that all works out. And I love the fact that now that we don't work together, the only way we're going to see each other is when we go out to L.A. and see the kids. Yeah, or or we we FaceTime each other when we're at separate restaurants with each other's kids. <laughs> so. That's also that, that is also how this works. That's it. All of this is a hundred percent true for those listening. Absolutely, Trey, you're the best man. I'll catch up with you soon. All right, love you, brother. Talk Lo- to you soon. Love you too, man. Thanks for your time. See ya. And that is Trey Wingo. And you know what? Let's just end it right there. That's the Stink of Truth podcast. We thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week to hash up week one in the preseason.